All right, hockey fans, listen up because we've got something special cooked up for playoff season. It's called the Daily Faceoff Playoff Parlay Challenge, and it's going to add some serious spice to your playoff experience. Now, here's the deal every playoff game, you're going to be faced with a handful of questions. It's like your own personal playoff puzzle, and it's free to join. And there are prizes because who doesn't love winning stuff? Daily winners, you're getting hooked up with gift cards. Treat yourself to some nation gear or maybe even your favorite jersey. And for the big dogs, the people who can win an entire round, it's straight, cold, hard cash. We're talking about real dough for your hockey knowledge. So lace up those skates, stretch those thumbs, and get ready to show off your hockey IQ in the daily face-off playoff parlay challenge. Sign up today and play every game day at games.dailyfaceoff.com and prove your puck prowess. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Positive Friday. How are you? Welcome to the Jason Greger Show, as always presented by PlayAlberta.ca. Hope you have an awesome weekend planned. Lots going on in the uh, sporting world. NBA Finals, NHL Finals, both uh, at uh, two games to one. After the Panthers get an overtime victory, and uh, Mr. Verhage scores another huge one. Uh, we'll get into him a little bit uh, later on in the show. Of course, you have the uh, Stingers tomorrow night at home. And uh, you know what? We're going to start off Positive Friday. Do you want to go to the game tomorrow? We have two pairs of seats. Very simple. You just text in the word Stingers. And you haven't been to a game you want to go. Text in to 101260, your name, and Stingers. And uh, Connor will get uh, your uh, your full name and your email, and uh, we'll be, we'll send two people on a positive Friday to tomorrow night's game. Make sure you can go. Don't text in if you can't go. We don't want to waste the tickets. All right. So make sure one hundred percent you can go. You can text in to ten twelve sixty on uh, Sunday. The uh, Elks will kick off their season, as uh, many fans of the Green and Gold are hoping that it'll be much better. Than the uh, the last few seasons have gone because it is uh, it has not been a fun time really for the uh, the last few years in the CFL. I don't think uh, anybody will uh, will debate that whatsoever. The uh, BC Lions with the first victory of the season, twenty five fifteen, last night over the Calgary Stampeders. And my goodness, I don't know if I know I didn't watch the whole game. What I watched of it was Calgary's offense awful. Like, how many short passes? Like, are you scared to go down the field in the CFL? To me, it's 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 not a successful way to win in football. 
nickel and diming all your way down. All you're doing is you're putting way too much pressure on your offense because you got to complete so many passes or run plays. So I thought it was a, a terrible play calling by the offense of the Calgary Stampeders. Terrible. And did not work out as uh, they lost. Other news today. Good friend of the show, Shane Doan, is uh, moving to the Toronto Maple Leafs. He's a special advisor to the general manager. Is he Dwight Schrute? We're going to have to get Doner on. Is he the Dwight Schrute of the uh, Toronto Maple Leafs? <laughs> oh, man, I'm sure Stratty's already been texting him chirps about that. So uh, I like it. He he obviously wanted to have a, a more of a role than what he was in in Arizona. And, man, uh, Coyotes fans are, are not excited about this one at all. Like, Shane Doan is one of the nicest human beings you will ever meet, by the way. Um, very personable guy. People in Arizona loved him. I don't know if I mean, like everybody likes that guy. He's so likable that when Struddy fought him, Struddy got in trouble. Not donor. Classic. Absolute classic. Uh, really good dude. And he's uh, going to the uh, center of the universe. Uh, also today, a big trade in the uh, National Hockey League. The Columbus Blue Jackets acquired... Damon Severson from New Jersey in exchange for a third-round pick. It was a sign-and-trade. Severson signed an eight-year, $50 million contract. Eight years, 50 mil. Like, good for Columbus to want to go out and revamp it, but I'm sorry. If you give eight-year deals to non-elite players, it never works out. Okay? It doesn't work out. I like Damon Severson. Good player. But eight years? Like, he'll be 29 next season because he turns uh, 29 in August. 29, 30, 31, 32, 33, 34, 35. So he's 36 in the final year of his deal. And I understand the cap's going up. I totally get it. But, okay, give them credit. Uh, Kekalainen, I think, knows his job's on the line. He's acquired Proberoff and Damon Severson here in a span of three days. So they've revamped their blue line. Here's it, but do they really need him? That's my question. They're revamping it. I'm not sure they need him. They they got a lot now. They got young prospects. Prospects are not NHL players. I get it. They need to win. I understand all that. But eight years. And really, you gave up a third rounder just to do the eight years. Like, why? Why not hold the third rounder? Wait for free agency. And now, obviously, Saverson had to agree to it, right? So if you would have offered him seven at the same number, was he going to walk away from it? I guess it guarantees you get them and and other teams can't negotiate, but that is a pretty risky proposition in my mind. Risky proposition. So it's, uh, it's not ideal. So we'll see. Also uh, on the show today, hey, shout out, uh, Jelena Mergenovich, another win. She improves to 42-12-2 in her career. She has now 56 pro fights, just battling, still grinding it out. And, you know, winning in a hostile environment where the hometown crowd, hey, when you can beat uh, the hometown boxer in a decision, you you really have to do well in the fight. And uh, so she did that. Uh, also, uh, big news today, and 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 this one is uh, is pretty awesome as well because I'm I'm not sure how many people were expecting it today when you woke up, but you know who shot the best round of the day 
so far. Now, there's some guys, of course, that still haven't started. Round two of the RBC Canadian Open. None other than Will Bateman from Edmonton. Six under par today. He moves up 89 spots and is now tied for 18th at uh, four under. Uh, Carl Juan uh, leads at uh, nine under. You got Novak, uh, Todd, and Ray, and uh, Bird at uh, seven under. And then you got some Canadians at uh, six under, including uh, Corey Connors, who's uh, through 11 holes today. He's one under. Also, Adam Hadwin shot a four under earlier this morning. So, what a day, man, for Will Bateman. I love it. Outstanding. Hopefully, it continues it. That's the best round of the day thus far. So, it's pretty sweet for him. And I'm sure a lot of his uh, friends and family will be uh, fired up watching that. What a moment, man. You go see, like, he was seven under through 12 holes, absolutely killing it. Maybe he was born Strutty's big watch to know the distance. <laughs> Cons, I don't know if you, uh, if you saw any of the Will Bateman today. Obviously, not a lot of it was on TV. I was watching some <laughs> online, but man, he was killing it. Yeah, awesome to see. Uh, see if he can continue that into day two and or into day three and four. That would be fantastic. Always love to see the Edmontonians shine, uh, especially on the stage. There are lots of Canadians out there. It's great to see. Oh, it is. Um, the uh, Florida Panthers needed overtime uh, last night, and uh, hey, they got the win. It doesn't matter what. Uh, entertaining game uh, last night. A lot of penalties. Uh, people weren't uh, enamored by the amount of penalties. I, I will say the Ratko Gudis cross check. That might have been the softest call I've seen all playoffs. Oh, my goodness. But, man, there are some big hits. Kachuk took a hellacious hit to, to his credit, came back, and then ties the game with two minutes and 13 seconds remaining. And then Carter Verhege wins it uh, four and a half minutes into overtime. So, uh, series is on. Florida, hey, it was a must-win game last night. We all knew it. Um, gives themselves a chance now. Um, we'll, we'll see... The uh, you know, a tough night for the uh, the Mark Stone line on for uh, all three goals against. Uh, yesterday we had people telling us how Stone's such an unbelievable 200-foot player, and he's a complete player. See, here's the thing. Here's my pet peeve, just on a random pause of Friday. Nothing irks me more when I, they say, oh, this guy's a complete player. And usually they talk about guys who aren't elite offensively. Right? Because guess what? It's really hard to be elite defensively. So then you're like, yeah, you know, they're, and I like Mark Stone. Don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. I like Mark Stone. But he's not elite offensively. He scored 70 points once. Once. I didn't think he scored 30 goals yet. Good player, emotional guy. I'd like him on my team. But I think we, we pump the brakes too often on people want to, you know, oh, yeah, look at this offensive guy. He's just terrible defensively. And so they just eliminate his offensive skill, and they're oh, yeah, but this complete player. What are you talking about complete player? He's not elite offensively. Solid defensively, sure. But is he that much better defensively than some of the elite guys? I don't think so. So I just, that's, Strider doesn't like puck luck. I think the complete player term is basically the polite way of saying, you know what, not great offensively. So just say it. No, decent player. Oh, 200-foot player. People would say that about Nugent Hopkins, and I'm like, eh. Disagree. So, anyway, it's a little tangent, but it still irks me. I see it all the time, and uh, I don't like it at all. Hey, guys, I think the CBA is designed for eight-year deals, IR, buyouts, and low-budget clubs. You know what, though? I, I would strongly disagree. 
the you have an eight-year deal in place doesn't mean you have to use it. Like, why is Damon Severson getting eight years? There's there's no rhyme or reason. Eight-year deals, and I, this is like a guy who's 29. What are we What are we doing? Right? Like, why? It, it it was a desperate move. I get they want to improve their defense. I understand that they had to improve their defense, but on an eight-year deal. Now, Kikalainen's like, well, I'm not going to be here in eight years. And the owner's like, okay, do it. But it is it is not the way to have success. Now, Columbus is just a team that wants to try to get back in the playoffs. They're not a cup contender. Right? I understand it. Like Johnny Gaudreau, at least a 100-point player a few times. So I can understand why you give him an eight-year deal. Like, but Damon, like Damon Severson, five-on-five five in the playoffs for New Jersey, was their third-pair right defenseman. Now, he's not going to be in Columbus. And I like him. I think he's a solid player. He's just not an eight-year player that starts when you're 29. It's not aging well. We, we've seen this movie before. You can, go, you can go around the league on guys like this, yet teams still do it. That's why I really believe the NHL needs to put in, after the age of 28, five-year deal max. It would benefit the players. Because now you're not going to have money turned in players that just aren't that good anymore. And guess what? Your best players, because the cap outside of COVID has always gone up. So you sign a five-year deal, you're going to get big money anyway. And guess what? In five years, Sidney Crosby, those guys are still elite. They're going to get their money. It's not going to matter. Like it's such a small percentage of players who even get eight years that it's, uh, I don't get it. Bang on, Gregor. I think the 200-foot player's overuse feels like the new buzzword. It's very, uh, it's very true. Complete player equals good, not great at many things, Chris. Yeah, so then just say, he's a good player. He's not a complete player, because to me, complete means you'd have to be, because you got to excel at one thing. What are you excelling at? Right? It's hard, trust me, it's hard to be elite offensively. Every player out there would want to score more points if they could. It's hard to do. Point play. And, and I know people say, oh, Steve Eiserman, he changed. Go back and look at Steve Eiserman. Okay? Because that's the, that's the example. We already got people texting about it. Steve Eiserman changed his game. Did he really change his game? So Steve Eiserman, right, came in. He's drafted. He comes in. At, uh, he's drafted in 1983 as a 19-year-old, by the way. Oh, no, sorry. He was 18. So he comes in. He's 18-year-old. And 18, 19, 20, 21, he really starts shining, right? 20, 90 points, and then he gets up to 102, 155, 127, 108. When people talk, well, look, he won the cup. Yeah, he won the cup in 97. That's his 14th year in the NHL. Do you think guys 14 years into their career, keep in mind, in the 90s, when they didn't have the training, the education, everything that they have now, go back and look at players in year 14. Were they as productive as they were in the peak? Of course not. So, yeah, his offensive numbers came down because he wasn't capable of scoring at that level anymore. Oh, and by the way, they won? Yeah, because they added Lidstrom, and they added Fedorov, and they added Brendan Shanahan, and, oh, I don't know, Larry Murphy. They had, like, eight Hall of Famers. Like, I like Iserman, don't get me wrong. Solid player. But the reason he became more defensively conscious because he wasn't good enough offensively anymore. It was year 14. I'm not expecting him in year 14 to be the guy scoring 100 points for fun. It's just not happening. 
So too often you, you get myths that just get repeated and repeated, and people believe it like it's fact. It's not. Connor McDavid in year 14, think he's going to score 150 points? Honestly, do you think he will? Now, today's player is a little bit different. Maybe, but probably still highly unlikely. So if he only scores 120, does that mean, well, he sacrificed offense to be better defensively? Or is it because he can't produce at that high elite, elite, elite level offensively in year 14? I'm going to go with the latter. Coming up on the show today, the con man is always killing it. Uh, we'll hear from uh, Gazola and Button. Uh, Aaron Port's line will get to Columbus. What other moves? Do, like, do they, they're going to get a center? They got a lot of defense prospects. They got a lot of young D. Man, they need a center bad. Who can they get? So we'll talk about that. Rashog will be by. Um, Curtis Stock. Man, I got this book, and it is outstanding. I love books when it's something that I really don't know much about. Um, it's about the Turcots, the remarkable story of a horse racing dynasty. Five brothers. Um, all of them uh, uh, pretty good, man. So uh, we will, we'll talk to uh, Curtis about this uh, that he wrote and uh, some other, get his thoughts on golf, of course. He's a huge golf guy. And uh, we've got to get his thoughts on uh, Will Bateman and some other things. We'll get uh, Struddy, as always. Uh, we'll be hearing uh, from somebody from the Elks in the 5 o'clock hour today. Of course, a big game on Sunday for the Green and Gold. You can text us at 10 12, 60 and email us in our Jiffy Lube inbox, Gregor tsn1260.ca. 2.23 on a positive Friday. How are you, Jason Greger? Connor Halley with you. Uh, also, today, uh, Kevin Lowe is getting roasted tonight. So, uh, big crowd coming. Tonight should be, uh, should be a lot of fun. Uh, looking forward to that. So, uh, for those of you that are uh, going, remember, it's a roast, not a toast. Okay? So, I think that's uh, it's always important. It's been uh, lots of positive and accolades for many years for Lowe. Tonight, it's a roast. And uh, very much... Looking forward to it. Let's get to the uh, Chronicles now, brought to you by Action Electrical, commercial and uh, residential solar. Also, EV chargers, providing expertise with not only the installation of the EV chargers, but ensuring your building electrical infrastructure is sufficient. Learn more at actionelectrical.net as uh, Tom Gazzola Joins us now, uh, Tommy, of uh, the RBC Canadian Open, of course, uh, Canada's uh, National Golf Tournament, and uh, quite the day for a young Edmontonian, Will Bateman, uh, so far has the uh, the best round of the day, six under, and uh, he moved up 89 spots, he's now at four under, to actually moved up 90 spots, he's tied for 17th. Absolutely phenomenal, Gregs. I mean, we've got a field of, what, 21 Canadians at the RBC Canadian Open, rightly so. And it uh, looks like a lot of guys, including Will Bateman, st- stepping up and just absolutely crushing it. Uh, Adam Hadwin also had a big day. Uh, Corey Connors, I know he got the late start because of his solid round yesterday. Uh, Mackenzie Hughes in the mix. So uh, in regard to like young golfers from Alberta, from Edmonton, it just shows you, you can... You can stick with and hang with the best of them if you get that opportunity. You get that confidence. You get going a little bit. Uh, an absolutely tremendous uh, accomplishment for Will Bateman. And uh, let's see how this story continues to evolve over the weekend. But uh, 
for a tournament, Greg's, that started with a lot of dark clouds over it because of the PGA Tour live stuff and, you know, a lot of the focus was on that for a second straight year at this tournament as opposed to the golf and the celebration of golf in Canada, which continues to uh, blossom and evolve both on the men's and women's side, clearly. Uh, we were talking about, you know, uh, greed and money and this guy hating that guy and the power struggle. Well, at least we've got these nice storylines starting to come out about uh, our Canadian lads going out there, gripping it, ripping it, and having a lot of success. So to Will Bateman, well done on the 66. And let's see where this goes from here. Oh, you know what, man? Just to, to have a round like that, uh, good for him. No one can take away a 66 from you to shoot in a, in a, you know, in a PGA tournament. To shoot 66, that is that is unbelievable. I would that, that's just uh, hopefully you can build on. It's amazing, uh, amazing mm-hmm. for sure. Um, when you play Tommy, just to further our golf conversation before I get to some other things, um, Strutty yesterday was apologizing to those people who who. Um, you know, have, uh, you know, the range finders and everything. He doesn't like the binoculars. He now has this big gaudy watch that he likes to use. Um, yep. Do you use either one? Uh, no to the range finder. I know that uh, it's, you know, it gives you a really accurate read on slope and, and all that and yardage. Uh, I do have the watch, though. It's a GPS watch. I think it's a Garmin, and I, lo- I do love it, Greg. I, I know it, it's as simple as just seeing your yard marker and, and taking a walk from there and, and then assessing where things are, looking at what flags on the pin. But uh, I love the watch. It's subtle. And uh, it, I don't know if it looks cool or not. Probably looks a little bit dorky. But I'm with Struds on wearing the GPS watch. Uh, I think it's you know generally pretty darn accurate. And it, it does not take as long to, to get you know, your yardage and distance and all of that uh, on the watch that it does with the with those range finders. Those things are, are pretty damn impressive, but, uh, yeah, they do take extra time. I don't know why he's getting bent out of shape because a good day on the golf course, Greg's, beats a, a bad day uh, – or a bad day on the golf course beats a good day at work any day of the week. And uh, Strutty's just looking for things to complain about if he's whining about people hitting it with range finders. Now, um, Elks Riders, uh, all I'm going to say is after watching almost the first half of that Calgary game, all I hope is that the Elks offense, because when I was watching it, Tom, I had flashbacks of the Elks offense, and, oh, it's second and seven, we're going to run a four-yard pattern, and then we're going to end up being short. right? Like I don't know if Calgary actually threw the ball past ten yards down the field last night. It was embarrassing, yeah. I felt, their play calling. And so when the, when the green and gold, we know they're going to run the ball. They really like the two-headed monster at the running back position. But I want them to – Cornelius has a strong arm. Like, let's see – got to push the ball down the field in the CFL to be successful. What's your what's your expectations of the Elks this season? Uh, I, I do expect the offense to be pretty darn good. And, and, and that hinges on Taylor Cornelius taking that next step in his evolution as a CFL quarterback. He's got the trust of the organization, of his head coach and GM, and uh, now all of a sudden he's got this plethora of weapons to throw the ball to. He's a couple, couple of guys in the backfield, Kevin Brown, who had a, a nice start to his season uh, or to his CFL career last season, uh, has been proven. Hopefully that continues. And then uh, you've also got Shannon Brooks as well that uh, is, is bullish when he runs. So I do expect there to be some 
high-flying offense from this Elks team. Yes, it does hinge on Cornelius. It does hinge on him getting uh, an extra half second or two from the O-line, but that could be a strength of this team. Now, with the West being pretty much wide open, you point out what happened last night between BC and Calgary. Like, A, Calgary couldn't put together any. They were so out of sync, it seemed like, offensively. Uh, it was it was a night that you don't expect from Rene Paredes to miss a couple of field goals. That's something that's so rare for him. And then last night it happens uh, on opening night, not good. And then BC, and, and I'm not going to knock Vernon Adams because he is a proven CFL quarterback, but he's not a, a superstar CFL quarterback. He's a darn good one. But it, it just seemed like he didn't have a lot of uh, pressure from the Stamps putting up points and from the Stamps forcing him to to make sure he was successful in every single drive. And uh, when you had that ability of, of having the time and to know that, hey, the Stamps aren't putting anything together, so if you can get into a rhythm, you get a couple extra opportunities without uh, the Stamps jamming points back the other way, then, then Vernon Adams can take advantage. And that's what he did. And now... Like, on the field, though, Vernon Adams got licked a couple of times pretty hard. Obviously, that's in the Stamps game plan. But uh, watching that game yesterday, uh, looking at what the Riders have on offense and uh, looking at what what the Elks seem to be putting together, I think that they could make a run for second in the division, Gregs. I really do, depending on how good Vancouver or BC ends up being this year. Really? Say, yeah, wow, that would be a huge step, man, because – um, I, if, I, if they can win eight games, I think that'll be a big improvement for them. And, totally. Until I, I see their play calling um, consistently more aggressive than it has been, and I'm not sure why it suddenly will be with the same OC, I have, I'm have i skeptical of what the offense could do. Well, Gregs, what if the execution's better this year, even with, you know – Questionable. Well, even play defensively, calling. though, right? Like sometimes well, yeah. you overlook the defense. Under Chris Jones, the Elks had the worst defense in the league last year. They dressed like a hundred players or signed like a hundred sure, players too. Yeah. So, like they we'll have more guys returning. He helps. Yep. Yeah. That you. you, well, you would hope. Yeah. But you know, that, that is the one thing that's kind of been overlooked a little bit here. Is that the you know the defensive guru? Now I know that hey, he was trying to find guys and. So you can debate, was it the right decision to just keep turning them over? Did they need to give guys more of a look? We'll see. But, you know, the, their defense was nothing to, to write home about last year. No, that's very true. Very true. There was a lot of sore spots last year, but it, it just seems like, it feels like uh, there is an opportunity or a, a, a window uh, to, to break through here and, and make some noise in the West. And I think, you know, if they can – jump on it early and it starts with a big win if they can finally get that win at home on sunday then maybe you get into a nice little groove you find some good mojo and and you take off from there tom gazola joins us Hampton sports leader tsn 1260 um a few other things tommy the uh, stanley cup final florida needed overtime uh kachuk comes back after getting rocked another clean hit in that game uh, you know, hey, give Florida credit, man. They, that team knows how to battle. And uh, Carter Verhage, like Kachuk has scored some huge goals for them. So has Verhage. You know, he for their first ever playoff win since '96. Last year, he scored the overtime winner in Game Six and in Game Four. He scored the overtime winner in Game Seven against Boston this year. He scores the overtime winner last night. So here's my question: Name a better free agent signing than Carter Verhage 
since uh, he signed in uh, in 2000 Ooh. with Florida. I don't think he signed for a million dollars a year. Remember, because Tampa Bay didn't qualify him. Yeah, he signed for a million dollars for two years, crushed it, then signed his new deal. And he's just over four mil, and he's killing it again. Oh, okay. Uh, one that comes to mind really quickly is uh, on the Golden Knights, since we're talking about these two teams in the Stanley Cup final, uh, respectfully so. I really like the Chandler-Stevenson pickup. And at yeah, that was a trade, though, not a, not a free agent signing. That was a trade. Yeah, for, yeah that's right. Uh, would Anthony Duclair be another Wiley free agent signing? That was a decent one, yeah. But Verhegi's yeah. even crushed him, right? Like, it's hard, man. Verhegi oh, yeah. has been, he's been unreal for them. He really has so been. good. I mean, oh, clutch. so good. Yeah, like it's, uh, yeah, it's hard to find someone if, if you're just, and keep in mind because it's not just because people will say we got tech. Hey, what about Zach Kyman? Yeah, Zach Kyman's worked out really well for the orders, but Zach Kyman makes five mil. Carter yeah. Hagee, look at his first few years. He was making a million dollars for your team, a million dollars, right? It's like people really like the uh, the the clean Costin uh, trade. Right, right. Because sure. he cost you seven fifty, and and he scored ten goals, and you're like, you know what? It's awesome, and I agree with you. But look at Carter Verhage. Carter Verhage, uh, when he made a million, the uh, the first year he scored eighteen goals, thirty six points in only forty three games. Then he scored twenty four and fifty five. This year he scored forty two goals and seventy three points in eighty one games, and he's making four point two mil. Like it's an outstanding value every year. He's been knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Uh, and, and given that opportunity, takes it, runs with it. That's a great story there for Verhege. Uh That shot yesterday, though, did you think Aiden Hill should have had it? I don't think there was enough traffic to create that much disturbance. Well, it though. looked like it changed directions, though. It hit something. There, yeah, there was but, some movement on it, but I, I yeah, thought... Yeah, like the, the Verhege, the, you're it. talking the, the Verhege game winner? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Because it, I, I watched the replay, and it, to me it looks like it hit a stick and you know moved four, five, six inches, so... Um, you know, and hey, Bobrovsky was good as he had to be. He's much better in the first two games. Um, you know, Kachuk scored a huge goal for them. I actually thought Vegas played quite well. I thought that was a pretty good game. And you know, Vegas just didn't capitalize on their chances in third period. Right. Well, and Bobrovsky just stood on his head. But there was so many moments in that game where I'm like, oh, there's no energy in that building, and they're only down a goal. And, and until they pulled the goalie or pulled Bobrovsky and got that equalizer, I just I didn't sense a lot of energy in the building at all. And and you're watching the Golden Knights; they were getting Odd man rushes whenever uh, Florida was trying to push the offense and it was going back the other way. Bobrovsky would have to make a save. And then as soon as the save was made, you saw all five guys you know, going back to defend. I was like, there's no way the Panthers are going to claw their way back into this thing. And you know what? Uh, Johnny on the spot. Matthew Kachuk bangs home the garbage. And, uh, you know, they get a, another uh story to tell and a chapter to tell in this uh, Cinderella run and I still think that Vegas takes this home in five like I predicted but um, that that game was a surprise outcome for the Panthers good on them to get their first Stanley Cup final win and you know that was the first home game Stanley Cup final home game for them on the, it was the 27th anniversary Greg's oddly enough for the Panthers in their first Stanley Cup final game that they hosted which they lost back to Colorado in 96 but they uh, they got a better outcome last night. Tommy, have yourself a wonderful day. We will see you at the Rose tonight. Have a good nap. Hey, make sure those jokes are sharp, my friend. I hear uh, from Connor that they're pretty darn good. 
Well, we'll see, Tommy. Uh, th- should we mix in some Gazzola jokes? Nope. <laughs> Not at all. All Kalo, baby. <laughs> all right. Well, we'll see you down there. See you, Gregs. It's Tom Gazzola and Chronicles brought to you by Action Electrical. When we return, a, a, a book that just came out, local writer, actually uh, hosts a show, a co-host with uh, Murray McCord on Saturdays. So we're going to talk a few sports. But one specific, a really good story, and it's really unprecedented and unexpected that you wouldn't think about. So we'll talk about that next on Edmonton Sports Leader, TSN 1260. 244, Edmonton Sports Leader, TSN 1260. Hope you're having a, a wonderful day. Jason Greger, Connor Halley with you. As we get to the uh, horse racing report brought to you by All Tech Supply Strength through Distribution, the only Canadian-owned Valve Master Distributor that exclusively supports your local supply store. Go to alltechsupply.com. Strength through distribution. Uh, we are joined now by a very special guest. Uh, happy to have him on the show. He is a Canadian Horse Racing Hall of Fame inductee, an 11-time Sovereign Award-winning writer for Best Thoroughbred Story of the Year. He was a writer for over 30 years with the Edmonton Journal and the uh, Calgary Herald, and, of course, uh, co-host of uh, the golf show with uh, Murray McCourt uh, Saturdays here on TSN 1260. Curtis Stock joins us. Curtis, welcome back to the show, my man. How you doing? I'm good, Jason. How are you? Hey, I'm good. I have to say, man, I, I'm really enjoying your book because I like books good. and there's stuff that I don't know a lot about. And uh, the book yeah. is called The, the Turcots. It's the remarkable story of a horse racing dynasty, five Canadian brothers from New Brunswick, and uh, the oldest one, Ron Turcott. Of course, many of our listeners probably don't know this. Uh, he was the jockey when Secretariat uh, completed his historic Triple Crown victory. Uh, Ron was uh, sitting atop him, uh, and many consider it the greatest horse of all time. Um, you know, and then you have five. First of all, you know, t- to have five brothers that are of that size to be jockeys in itself is unique. Yeah, and from a lumberjack family, which you wouldn't uh, <laughs> equate as a likely source for jockeys. You think lumberjacks jacks, and you think big burly men, not small jockeys. So when you're doing the research on this, uh, and you've been around horse racing uh, infinitely closer than I have for, for many, many years, and you know, yeah. um, like I, I knew Ron, but I didn't know that Ron had all these brothers that were also jockeys. Like, it's it's kind of a unique, you know, family story. You just don't see this. Like, there, it's not like most families have even two siblings that are that are elite jockeys. Never mind five. Right. No, it's uh, it's incredible, and uh, I mean, Ron. Getting started as a jockey was uh, very implausible. I mean, it was a complete fluke that he became a jockey and paved the way for the other four brothers. Now, like in any book, there, there's obviously a little bit of tragedy uh, in here. Like being a jockey, man, like I've, we've had jockeys on the show. It, it is not a life for everyone. Right? Like it's no, a lot of no. stress. You got to keep the weight down. Uh, kind of maybe take us back. What what part of researching the jockey life was, was maybe hard or, or unique for you? Uh, none of it really, because I'd, uh, when I was at the journal, I did a. I remember doing a two page spread on uh, jockeys and what they have to go through to make the weight, and uh, it's it's incredible what they have to put up with, you know turning the fan, uh, the heater on in their cars as high as it'll go and wearing layers and layers of clothing, sweating in saunas and steam boxes, running for miles in rubber suits and using diuretics like Lasex to draw the last ounce of water out of their bodies. Many uh, jockeys are bulimic and uh, purge themselves. So 
it's it's tough, and it was really tough. Ron Ron didn't have that much of a weight problem, but the other four really did. Well, and, and part of me, as an outsider, wonders like, why can't they just change this? Like, why did, yeah, why does it have to be this ridiculous? <laughs> that was what I wrote when I wrote it about the judge. Just raise the weights. I mean, yeah. it's antiquated, and you know, people today are way bigger than they used to be, and. You know, in England and Europe and France, I mean, they all they all carry lots of weight, and it seems to work there. But to have a have to get a you know a human being down to 110 pounds is is unbelievable. There, you know what? Uh, the part of the book that, that was, uh, you know, it's difficult. You're talking about Daniel David and, and a guy yeah. who's uh, yeah. being on, I, I think it was over 9,000 mounts, and he earned under just $20 million, but he's broke and living in a dormitory on the back stretch of Woodbine. Like, how does that happen? I don't know. How does it happen to, you know, other athletes and other sports? It's, it's, it's hard to fathom. Curtis, when you look at you know this book, and because I'm I'm a non-racing guy, so I loved it, right? I'll I'll be honest, and and you know all about it. What what would you say to people out there that are listening as to you know what what's kind of the, the genesis of the book, and what what are they going to take away from it? The genesis of the book, yeah. Well, it just it, it's an amazing story with so many different paths and hooks. It's a, it's remarkable, really, and it's an implausible tale and. A, slice of relatively unknown Canadiana. I mean, we just don't, you know, know, as, as you don't, you know, that, that Ron had four other brothers who who together won 8,251 races for preserving just shy of 60 million. So that's, uh, that's a lot. Yeah, well, they're basically the Sutter brothers for our hockey yeah. listeners of horse yeah. racing. Yeah, absolutely. Very close. Now, Ron, of course, you're on Secretariat, man. Like, now I'm not finished the book yet, and so maybe don't spoil it for me. But when, when you like Ron was was he able to really capture the fame of being on that horse? Uh, what do you mean? Like, did he expect it or? No, not that he expected it, but you know, like when something that big happens, like was he able to take that and really catapult himself because of that, or you know, it's one race, and you know, that's not one of those things that you can really benefit you long term as a jockey. Yeah, no, he was he was good well before 1973. He was Canada's leading rider in his just his second year, uh, and he was Canada's leading rider twice. And then he went to New York and Del Mar and Florida and all over the place and won lots of stake races. So Secretariat wasn't the kickoff point for him; it was uh, the culmination. But it was in the biggest thing that ever happened. But it was it wasn't like uh, Secretariat put him in the fame. He was already a top rider then. Did he know Secretariat was that good? Yeah, yeah, and he thinks he's even you know, that he should have even been better. There was three races that he lost, which were none of his fault. In the uh, in the Haskell, he had a or the Whitney he had a fever of 107. He had a abscess the size of a quarter in the Wood Memorial, and they still ran him. And then in the uh, in in the Woodward, he wasn't supposed to run. River Ridge was supposed to run. The, River, the track came up sloppy, and Reaver Ridge couldn't stand up in the slot, so they put Secretariat in with hardly any training at all. Uh, Ron said, we didn't, Secretariat didn't feel, fail us, we failed him. And he said that he was just getting good when they retired him, that it would have been many, many, many more stake wins and world records if he had kept going. You know, 50 years ago, 
secretary won the Kentucky Derby, the Preakness, and the Belmont, of course. And yes. those times all stand today. I mean, they have not been broken, and, and the Belmont probably will never be broken. There's never been a horse that, that ran that fast. And and the closest horse that ever came to him would, would have been, uh, if you look at all the best horses, would have been, you know, 10 lengths behind them. Why is that? Because in every other sport, yeah, bigger, faster, Record stronger fall. now, right? Yeah, yeah, track records fall and uh, records in every other sport fall. But this one is because Secretary was so good. He was just, there's absolutely no question that he was the best horse that ever ran. No question at all. And like I said, Ron thought he could have even been better if he kept running. And so exactly. they retired him early because obviously, you know, the first stud fees and everything, and they were hoping that yeah. they've obviously made lots of money off of it in that regard. No question about it. But, like, he's never really had any offspring. Like, who's been his best offspring from Secretariat? Uh, I'm not sure. But he wasn't he wasn't a great sire, but he was a great broodmare sire. That means that the mares that he, that he sired produced a lot, a lot of stake winners. So he was a really good broodmare sire. There's, I think there's four or five horses in the Belmont tomorrow that have Secretariat blood in them. Okay. So now, speaking of that, it is the, the 50 year. Are, is there a big, like, how big is this 50 year anniversary? Are, are we going to see, you know, lots of, of features about it this weekend? I would hope so. Uh, you know, racing doesn't get the coverage that it used to anymore. We used to, you know, the journal used to have a story and charts and uh, handicap and picks and results and everything else every day, but uh, you don't see much of it in the newspapers anymore. You don't hear much on radio or TV anymore either. It's which is which is sad. Curtis Stock joins us. He is the author of the book The Turcots: The Remarkable True Story of a Horse Racing Dynasty of Five Brothers. And, of course, Ron being the eldest, uh, he was a top secretariat in his historic uh, Triple Crown victory 50 years ago. And then his brothers, Noel, Rudy, Roger, and Eve, all followed him. Uh, the, their total purse earnings was uh, close to uh, $60 million, a staggering yeah. 8,251 races. It's amazing, uh, great Canadian story, Curtis, of course. Uh, where is the best place for people to get the book? Uh, well, you can get it at almost every bookstore, Audrey's and Chapters, or you can get it online at Amazon. And uh, before I let you go, because I know uh, if horse racing is your number one sport, I'm not sure if it is, but golf's pretty close uh, to yeah, second. Yeah, pretty close, that's for sure. Yeah, uh, it would be. I- I'm sure you- you've watched, and uh, I-, I know you've talked to him before, but uh, Will Bateman, uh, quite yeah. the day for him at the RBC Canadian Open. No, it's unbelievable. It's just great to see. And uh, well, I, I say it's great to see, but they didn't show much of him playing for some reason. We saw everybody else, but we didn't see much of Will. And he's from Edmonton, of course. And, uh, yeah, he's in the top 20. Great round today. So far, it's the second lowest round that's been shot. And wishing nothing but the best for him. He's worked hard. Oh, it's it's such an amazing story, especially what he did in, in round one. And you're right, the, the 66, uh, I think somebody shot a, a 67, or sorry, a 65. 65, yeah. Yeah, and um, so still, pretty good day for him. He's put himself uh, in the running. He's obviously making the cut, and he's going to be playing on the weekend, which is uh, amazing with a, a few other Canadians. Uh, you follow golf for a long, long time, Curtis, and you just, you've seen the growth of the game. There's more Canadians. Uh, you know, obviously, Brooke Henderson is probably the greatest yeah. Canadian golfer we've ever seen. And yeah. uh, but you know the the men's side is pretty deep. Like it got five or six guys who have a chance to win. 
Yeah, no, it's incredible. It's uh, it's great for Canada, the Canadian, it's the Canadian Open. So what could be better? Well, it would be nice to see uh, Corey Connors, who uh, uh, is yeah. now up to uh, to seven under. He's uh, he's two strokes off the lead, so he's in the running, and we'll see if he can kind of get over some of his Sunday yips that seem to have uh, been bugging him uh, a little bit at, at key time so far. Well, Curtis, a great book. I look forward to uh, finishing the end of it, but uh, the first half that I have read has really piqued my interest, so thanks for the copy of it, and, and I wish uh, everybody out there get a copy of it and, and read it, and thanks for your time. Okay, thanks, Jason. That is uh, Curtis Stock author for the uh, remarkable story of a horse racing dynasty honestly i didn't know about it. this is a canadian family i obviously i'd heard about ron turcott but i didn't even remember to be honest that uh, he was a top uh, secretary and you should you know, like you if you've been to belmont park and all those places like that's ron that's the guy and all the statues that they have with him and secretariat and it's quite the uh, quite the career he had man he was highly successful but i just like when you win that race and you win that by that much and I know he was good before, but now, granted, it's 50 years ago, so maybe the opportunity to to capitalize on it was a lot harder than it is now. But I love reading books where there's things that I just don't know a lot about, so I would highly recommend this one, the uh, the Turcots. So uh, you can check it out uh, in the local bookstores or get it online. Let's get to the uh, con man and a Sports Center update brought to you by. MC Dispatch, same-day courier company. You need a package move, big or small, they will do it promptly and efficiently. They also offer storage opportunities as well. Locally owned and operated, mcdispatch.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 